Jane Stone. I'm the author of Finding the Gems, The Search for Meaning in Life's Traumas and Losses, and I'm a university president. The university is California Southern University, located in Costa Mesa, California. And my full-time job is as a president. It's 24-7, and that's how I spend my time. I got started as a kid. I have always loved writing. From the time I first learned to write and put words on paper, I knew I needed to express myself. And I have always written. I have always journaled. And it was a hop and a skip from journaling to writing articles to doing um, a book. Segwaying into being a president, that was more of a, a career opportunity that presented itself. And I was able to bring many, many years, uh, something like three decades of experience running nonprofits to what I could do here for the university. And um, I can't say which one I like more. They're both very, very satisfying. I have three advanced degrees in the field of psychology. A master's of science in counseling psychology with a specialization in loss issues and bereavement. A master of arts in psychology with an emphasis in marital and family therapy and a doctorate in pastoral ministry with a specialization in interfaith chaplaincy. And all of those have come to good use in my career as a therapist in private practice and many, many years as a therapist and a chaplain working in hospice, helping people with terminal illness to die with dignity and their families to survive the losses. So all of that comes together in the form of the book as well because the book covers loss issues of all sorts, we always tend to think of death as being the loss issue. It might be the biggest one in most people's lives, but divorce is a loss issue, trauma is a loss issue. Certainly separations in families are loss issues. And then all of that comes to play here in my role as a university president because I have a deep understanding of people and have created programs to help motivate them, help them grow. And as I grow each person, I grow the university. I was inspired to do this work, to write a book, because I'm a book lover. I credit books with saving my life. The library was the place I went to. It was my safe haven. And to be able to write a book that could help others was my motivation. Many people will not go into therapy, not on a dare, not if you pay them. There are those who've had bad experiences with therapy. There are those who just are afraid of it or don't see your value in sharing that part of themselves with a professional. There are a lot of reasons why people won't go into therapy. I can't reach those people, but maybe they'll buy a book. They'll read a book and they'll do something to change their lives for the better. So I wrote the book to reach a broader population, to reach that population that won't step foot in therapy, or perhaps had a bad experience and this is their opportunity now to make things better for themselves. Uh, my passion is potential, always has been. I was motivated to go into psychology because I liked helping people find their potential. It's been my calling. I sought my own potential as a kid. Uh, as a kid, I helped other people find their potential. As an adult, psychology was the place to do that. Oftentimes, you ask people why they go into the field of psychology, and they'll say, I want to help people, to which I say, become clergy, become a social worker. For me, it has been to help people find their potential, because if I can help you get past all that clutter, all that emotional stuff that's in the way, all the pain, all those walls that are between you and your real self, you can find your potential and make it happen. And your life can be amazing. For me, in order to feel joy in life, I have to be of service. 
I need to fix things, I need to help, I need to prepare others to reach their potential, help them manifest who they are. So for me to feel joy in life, to feel that I'm here for a reason and to have a sense of purpose around it, that is what I need to do every day, whether it's for employees, patients, or the clerk at the store who's in a bad mood or looks like this is not where she wants to be that day. I feed myself other ways. I feed myself through watching sunsets and all those other examples, um, Victorian teas and fun things like that, uh, spending time with women friends. Um, it gives me great satisfaction to see an employee go from one position to the next or to see a patient move from one problem to success. They're sure they would never find love and now they have it. Another source of joy for me has been love. I've been very blessed to be loved by three incredible men, and I don't take that for granted. I was born with intention. I know that. My soul spoke to me as a young child. I had the intention from the beginning. I knew that I had to manifest my own potential, and my purpose in being here was helping others to do the same. So the intention in every day is make a difference. It's just that simple. I don't think I need tools and resources to stay mindful and, and grounded. Um, for me, it's more a matter of commitment to why I was put here in the first place. What I do struggle with, and perhaps this is an answer that helps others, is sometimes I'm too much with the world. From time to time, the world gets too ugly. It gets too serious. There's too much harshness, and I need to separate. And I just go to a quiet space. Maybe it's a dark, quiet room. Maybe it's sitting out and having tea with a friend. But I will oftentimes just need a little space for me, pull my little broken pieces back together again, and then I can go back out in the world and do what I was sent here to do and make a difference, and I'm ready. It's like, okay, bring it on. I'm ready for you. I dream of a world in which children can grow up in their own homes in safety. But until then, I'll have to be content with being someone who can make a difference in the lives of others, helping them to find their potential and manifest it and have the lives that they want to have. This book afforded me the opportunity to learn something very important about myself. And it wasn't in the writing of the book. It was actually in the promoting of the book. Writing the book, I was filled with passion and, and the vigor of putting my words on paper and trying to do it in such a way that would be accessible to others. The promoting of the book brought up something else entirely. What the promoting of the book brought up was a loss of anonymity. I was going to have to go out into the world and tell my story. But more importantly, I would need to tell my story or be, my story would be known to everyone in this university and all my peers and colleagues. And in that moment, I realized I felt a reticence, a kind of an embarrassment. And I had to look at that because I'm not just a therapist to others. I must be my own best therapist if I'm truly going to help them. So I looked at that and realized that it wasn't embarrassment I felt. That was just what was masking a bit of shame. There was still shame. At 64, there was still shame. After all the therapy, after all the years of hard work, there was still some shame. 
I was still owning that experience. I was still taking responsibility for someone else's bad, bad behavior. And that was a stunner that I still owned this much shame. Not like when I was a kid, this much shame. That was a stunner. And for me, that was a very growthful moment to be able to say, yes, I will do this interview. And anyone who reads the book will know what they know. And you know what? I'm a thriver. My younger self would look at me and say, you fulfilled your expectations. And I know that because I was about 51 or 52 when my younger self spoke to me very loudly one day. I was at my office at a private practice. I just had a quiet moment when I walked around and I was enjoying my office and everything that was in it and having a moment of appreciation and saying, looking at my furniture, all of that. And I had this successful practice. I had a good marriage with a man I respected and admired and loved. I had a solid Jewish life. I was just, it could not be better. It was perfect. If not perfect, at least really great. And in that moment, I realized I'd made it. Now, the flashback on that to really appreciate the moment is I was about 10 years old when someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a philanthropist. But I also had another experience at 10 that was um, eye-opening for me. I was just walking down the street, and there was a ring in this jeweler's window. And I thought it was the most exquisite ring I had ever seen. And I said to myself, I will have that one day. Now, mind you, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I didn't have one nickel. Came out of abject poverty, spiritual poverty, intellectual poverty, economic poverty, you name it. We had all the poverties covered. I didn't have a nickel to my name, but to look in that window and see that ring, I said, I'm going to have that one day. I'm going to get that ring. And fast forward, I'm 51, 52 years old. Life is perfect. And I realize, oh, my God, I made it. I got here. So I went shopping, and I bought myself a four-carat diamond marquee-cut stone because that was the ring I saw. This is my I made it ring. So I know for a fact what my little girl would say if she could see me. She'd go, that's one hell of a ring. That's what she'd say. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.